Aren't you glad that the Lord shall preserve his people and keep them? That's a wonderful promise that we have from our covenant-keeping God. All right, turn with me to John 14. John 14, we'll, we'll revisit the first few verses that we looked at at the very end of the sermon two weeks ago, and then we'll continue on through verse 14 this morning, if the Lord so wills. John 14, 1 through 14. For all of our guests, we're glad you're here. We do hope that you took a moment to fill out the, the guest register. That's the gold little binder that uh, gets passed down, or yeah, green, gold. I'm looking at gold, gold right back there. Uh, and so I'm thinking gold. Uh, green registers uh, that are there available. We'd love to drop you a note, a text, a uh, an email, however you wish to let us do that this week. Hear God's word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word that we might know you, the one true God. That we might not only know what we're to believe, but also what we're to do. You're a good, loving father to your children. We ask now that you would give your servant the words. And give us all ears to hear as Christ 
preaches to us in these few moments. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen. Children and young people, you need to know something. The world around us now is not, in many ways, not the world that it was when your mom and dad were your age. Certainly not the way it was when your grandparents were your age. In the words of Bob Dylan, times they are a-changing. And that seems to be always the way it is. The world, the world system, as John refers to it often, picking up on the Lord's use of it that way, the world system is sold out to globalism and multiculturalism and included in that multicultural ethic is a denial of such things as sexual identity, marital identity, even individual identity. We live in a world that's that's purportedly one of tolerance. And so they they have adapted a non-binary view of human beings. You're going to face a world that claims the equality of all viewpoints. And they're going to do that as they already are, but it's going to get worse, I fear. They're going to do that in a way that many of us who studied ethics years ago and the, the raging word at the time I remember was relativism. And we've already blown way past relativism. Nothing has a meaning. In fact, it can have any meaning that you as an individual want to put on it. And you need to be settled on this one point. That God made everything the way that it is. He designed everything to stay the way that he made it. And he is unchanging. That, that has to be your foundation. If it's not your foundation, then you will be blown by every wind as it changes direction, no matter what it pertains to. You have to be settled on that. God made everything the way it's supposed to be. He keeps it that way. And he doesn't change. And so today, you may be saying, so what's that got to do with this passage? Well, I hope just the reading of it was enough for you to see. The reading of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the Shema clearly states that God is God and there is nothing else. 
There are no other gods. One of my favorite passages to take people to who want to claim all ways are in some way valid is to Psalm 96, verse 5. There, God says that he is alone great. Then he says this, all the gods of the peoples are, and most translations translate idols. But you need to be aware that when you read the word idols in the Bible, God's doing something here. It literally means nothings. They're just nothings. And we humans tend to take nothing and make it into something. We tend to take the vain imaginations, vanity, empty imaginations of our minds and turn them into gods. We can do it with anything. And we can do it with nothings. I am the one true and living God. All the gods of the peoples are nothings. And then God says this. Out of nothing I made the heavens. That's the message of the Bible from the very beginning, isn't it? Out of nothing God made everything that we see. Ex nihilo. It's remarkable. So you can take your silly nothing gods and do what he wills with them. So what we're going to see in this passage here is Jesus making a very intolerant Countercultural argument to the age in which he lives. In fact, and he's doing it right in the context of his disciples. And they ask some questions that they should have known the answer to by now. And he says as much, doesn't he? Have you been with me so long and you don't know the answer to that question, Philip? Thomas? Really? You don't know the way? I hope that if you didn't know before you came in this room, by the time you leave, if someone were to say, what's the only way that's the true way? You could quickly say, Jesus Christ. You mean there's not another way? Maybe Allah? Maybe the Jesus of the cults. Maybe the Jehovah of the witnesses. There's not another way. No. Jesus is the way. And he even tells us why. Because he and the Father are the same. They are one in being. All right, let's go. First point. Christ alone is the cure for those troubled by worldliness. Remember the context. We saw this two weeks ago. Peter is troubled. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. 
Peter's troubled because Jesus says he's going away. And Peter says, I want to go with you. And he says, you can't. Can't go with me where I'm going. He wasn't just talking about the cross. He was talking about the cross being a means to him going back to be glorified, right? In the presence of the Father on the throne. That's what he was talking about. Peter, thinking fleshly, worldly, like we tend to do, said, I'll go with you. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll even die with you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. And remember, earlier in that passage, Judas has been set out. Go, do what you're going to do, Judas. One that was going to betray him, one that was going to deny him. And Jesus comes right back, according to John, the way John's putting things together. Remember, John's not chronological so much. He's theological, and so he moves. With that setting, people troubled. What's going on? Somebody's going to betray him. Somebody's going to deny him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because all that would be troubling, wouldn't it? Let not your hearts be troubled. What's the answer? When you have troubled hearts, when you have uh, hearts that are unsettled, well, the, the answer is, is God. The answer is Jesus Christ. Believe in me. Believe also. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the first thing. Our hearts, when they're troubled, can only be salved, only be satisfied, only be, only be cured, if you will, in Christ through faith alone. And the same faith that brings us into union with Christ brings us into union with God the Father. In other words, we get all of God. Isn't that wonderful? When we get Jesus, we get the Father. And we can turn around and we're going to see in chapters, uh, uh, the latter part of 14 all the way through 16, we get the Holy Spirit too. Jesus is going to go away. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to be in us and with us so we can't be orphans. No other religion offers a God. They offer a vain imagination of a God. But faith in Christ brings us into union with the one true God. Notice he moves on. He's not only telling them that you, 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 your hearts can be dealt with here, cared for here through faith. He goes on to give them some hope. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for? In other words, he's putting them back. I've already told you I'm going. And I've told you where I'm going. You're not hearing. You're not believing. It's interesting. All the way through this. Over and over, Jesus brings them back to the present active indicative. Believe now, believe now, believe, believe, believe. See, here's the problem. A lot of Christians, you know why they're troubled and they can't get over it? They've fallen and they can't get up. You know why? Because, they, because they're looking at a faith that's in the past. Well, I believed when I was nine. Well, I, I, I did this when I was 12. I, no. And Jesus says, no, believe now. 
You need a present faith. That's the cure. That's your help when you're troubled. Not a past faith. A present faith. And our Lord, who's the giver of faith, gives it. He gives it in measure. He gives us the faith we need as we need it. We don't have to dredge it up from the past. He gives it to us present tense. Notice what the hope is. First, it's remarkable. This passage is one of the most most clear-cut passages on the exclusivity of Christianity that there is. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And yet, notice that exclusivity doesn't mean small numbers. People accuse us of that. Well, if you just believe that, and particularly if you just believe what you folks believe about the doctrines of grace, there won't be many of you. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare many rooms. Many is the testimony from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And many rooms suggest something else. You know what your hope is? Your hope is not as a little cheesy, corny, southern gospel song that I heard long time ago said, just a cabin in the corner of glory. And it's not a mansion either. Someone was telling me they heard, I, did, I missed it, uh, the reading of the scripture for the queen's funeral. And, 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 and the, the translation was many suites, many rooms. Here's the point, y'all. We're not going to have individual. See, we live in individualistic culture. The concept of a, a mansion where we get a big winding driveway and we get to live up there removed from everybody else is very individualistic. It's many rooms. We're all going to be together. We're the household of faith. Everything in the Bible testifies to this. Israel was a clan. Peter describes us as stones stacked upon one another. Paul describes us as members of the body, all linked together. You don't put this over yonder and it still be part of the hand. You don't put the hand out there someplace and still be part of the arm. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna enjoy one another in close proximity for all of eternity, both in heaven, in the intermediate state, and in the new heavens, new earth, in that final eternal state when Jesus comes and the resurrection takes place and our bodies are glorified and we get to live with him forever and ever in our glorified bodies united with our souls. Isn't that remarkable? And by the way, that going to be together in his presence that he speaks of here, that starts now. Just like eternal life begins the moment of regeneration when the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. Eternal life begins right then. It's not something out yonder somewhere. Presence is now. We're supposed to be together, live together. We're a family of God, y'all. 
I want to tell you something. If you're scattering yourself from the family, repent. The church is your priority. We're united together as the family of God. It shows what we're supposed to be. Notice also, Thomas then pipes up, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Well, he should have. How can we know the way? Notice Jesus doesn't address the where again. He's already addressed that. We've seen it already. He's going to be glorified with the Father. Jesus answers the way question. And he said, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the path. I'm that narrow way that I've been teaching you about. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Interesting, isn't it? That Jesus doesn't doesn't pause here at all. He doesn't hesitate at all to call Thomas to examine himself. What does Paul do with the Corinthians after he's written two letters that we have inscripturated? One of the last things he says is, examine yourself that you be found in the faith. That's what Jesus is doing right here. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. By the way, that construct is not since you know me. It really is if you know me. Sometimes we read if, and I will tell you, it means since. That's not that. If you had known me. But then notice what he says. From now on, you will know me. There's the promise. Thomas, you've struggled with your faith up until now. From now forward, you're going to be settled on this. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's the first point. Christ alone is the cure for our troubles. These men express their troubles. Well, now we move to the next major point. He's also the cure for our separation. Philip raises that question. Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. For us, sin separates us from God. You do understand that. That's a message the Bible gives us in several different ways illustrated, explicitly stated. We're separated from God. Sin does that. That's our natural, native state. We're born that way. In fact, David says, conceived in the womb that way. Separated from God. Along with that separation comes enmity. We're enemies of God. People don't like to hear that. But you know what? It's kind of like, well, I would hate to hear that I have cancer, but I need to know so I can do something about it. Well, this is the ultimate cancer. Sinful separation from God. Eternity 
without hope. Eternal damnation. The place Jesus calls that is a fire where the worm cannot be quenched. In other words, it's everlasting. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long you still do not know me? Whoa. What you'd expect there is, Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know the Father? Because that's what Philip asked. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, haven't you, haven't you been with me? Don't you know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe? There's the issue. Do you not present tense right now believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? He's going back to chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. You say, well, wait a minute. He's prayed to the Father. Yeah, they're one in being. One God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. Same in substance, same in being. Equal in power and glory. The three in one, the one in three. And Jesus goes there to answer the question. He says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I have. I am in the Father. Father's in me. And then he, he gives explanation. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his words. We've seen that already, haven't we? I speak what the Father says to speak. They're one. And yet they're distinct. Christ can go to the cross, suffer, and die. And God has no ending. It's remarkable, isn't it? Folks, listen. That's your only hope. Is a God like that. That can do for you all you need including take the punishment for your sin, the ultimate punishment, which is death. And yet, the world is not extinguished by his coming to an end. Because he didn't. Remarkable. Remember what I said over and over? What's the whole point of John that you may believe? This book is full of reasons to believe. Here's another reason to believe. And that's where he goes. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say don't speak on my own authority. The Father dwells in me, does his work. Believe me. There it is again. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else. Believe that on account of the works themselves. In other words, I've given you plenty of reasons to understand this. Now listen. If it was hard for the men who saw it with their naked eyes, and yet 
we could go there and say, oh, how much harder would it be for us? And yet Jesus says, it's actually going to be easier for us. Because he's going to give the spirit and the spirit's going to guide us into all truth. It won't be by sight. It'll be by faith. Faith is more certain than sight. goes on. And he says that Christ alone is the cure for the ethics of the world. Verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's sit up, that's behold, children. Remember, Old Testament, we get the behold word a lot. And that means sit up, pay attention. And here Jesus is saying, Truly, truly, set up. Amen, amen. This is important. Listen to me. Isn't it interesting? Believe, believe, believe. Now, listen to me. Here's the thing. You understand that what we're doing now is we're not a teaching station. This, the church is not a place for people to come and get filled up. And then scatter to the ends of the earth. We have work to do. This is not mere theologizing. Theology has life. Theology is supposed to promote life. And so Jesus moves straight to the ethics of it. The promotion. What's all this believing? What's all this knowing supposed to produce? I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You're sitting around asking theological questions. You're not paying attention. And it's not producing what it's supposed to produce. That is good works. What does Paul say? In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Faith. Gift of God. Grace. Gift of God. No man can boast. Then he says this. Too often lopped off from verses 8 and 9 is verse 10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world so that we might do good works that he's prepared for us to do. And we like to just sit and theologize. We like to ask the same questions over and over again. Some reason we think we'll get a different answer, but it's a God who never changes. He says, you believe in me? Go do it. Go do it. And then he says something that has, has really given some people grounds for some absurd thoughts. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. We've had a strange movement over the last 115 years in the United States. Largely in the United States, but now it's spread to the world. And that is, is that Oh, everything Jesus did, we can do. So he raised the dead, we can raise the dead. He gave people limbs when they were missing a limb. He restored a limb that they were having trouble with. Well, we can do that. Says so, greater works. In fact, we'll do more than he did. Well, that's on the face absurd. 
Paul deals with this very frankly with the Corinthians who were into all sorts of wild and woolly things, as you know, if you've read those, the, particularly 1 Corinthians. He comes to the end of 2 Corinthians. He said, here are the works of the apostles. And that's where you find the signs and the wonders, the healings and all those, those extraordinary gifts, as we call, those that vindicated the scriptures. Now we have the Holy Spirit given in fullness. He vindicates the scriptures to us. We don't have apostolic gifts. We're not rebuilding the foundation. The apostles and prophets, Paul says in Ephesians, they're the foundation. We're building on that. We're not duplicating it. So what does it mean? In degree, Jesus was on this earth for some 33 years. His public ministry for some three years. We read about many of those things that he did. And what's been the thing all the way through? What's the whole point again of John that you may believe? When Paul addresses the Corinthians who were into all the signs and wonders, thrills, he says, the Gentiles, they look for signs. The G- are the Gentiles for, 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 uh, for, for wisdom, for knowledge. Uh, the, the Gentiles for signs and wonders. Notice who looked for the signs and wonders, by the way, is the Gentiles. And how does Paul answer both of those? But I preach Christ crucified. Period. And he was an apostle. There he's giving us, that's what the church is all about. Is to go make disciples. Preach the good news. Bring in the lost. And build up the saved. Consider. In those Centuries since Christ walked the earth, countless numbers redeemed. That's greater works in number than our Lord did. But it's all because of what he did, not because of what we do. So we're to work and we're to pray. Work and ask. Whatever you ask, and notice it's in my name, this I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's, that's the reason we do everything, isn't it? It's the reason we do what we do. It's the reason we tell people about Jesus. It's the reason we encourage one another that the Son may be glorified. That the Father through the Son may be glorified. It's not for us. When you grow weary of doing good, remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. How do you grow weary of glorifying God? If we were Baptists, somebody right now would say, well, we won't. And that's right. We won't grow weary if we keep our focus on the proper focus is, and that's the glory of God. What's the chief end of men? 
children could answer this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Don't you love people who glorify God and smile while they're doing it? Instead of people who glorify God and are grumpy about it? Let me just tell you, you're not glorifying God if you're grumpy. You've got to enjoy glorifying God. And why wouldn't we? Because he's given us everything we need. We are because he is. It's all because Jesus went to the Father. That's the reason he's going to say next week, I'm going back to the Father. And this is good for you. Because then the Spirit comes in fullness. And you get to do all of this good work. While I'm here, you're sitting, you're learning, you're watching. I'm leaving so you can be about the Father's work. So, troubled heart this morning. Jesus is the only way to true knowledge of God and true communication with the Father through prayer. The exclusive Jesus is the only means to a true inclusivity. How can we say that? Because he brings us into true union with the Godhead. We're included in, the, in, in, in union with God when Jesus is the only one. In union with the Godhead, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, as Paul told us in Philippians 4. Our troubled hearts shouldn't last long because we have Jesus. And we know the way to the Father is through Jesus. And through the way, we have the truth and we have the life. Father, thank you for giving us all that we could ever need, more than we would ask for. Thank you for salving our troubled hearts, for curing our separation from the Father, and by giving us the true way, our Lord Jesus, and we pray in his name, amen.